ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Holland Academy's Feature Friday. This week, Michael recaps his 2019 Idaho opener and talks a little opening weekend elk behavior. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Batiste. I am from the Elk Calling Academy, and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We're honored that you would join us and tune in this evening. Uh, the way Wapiti Wednesday Q&A works is we typically start with a subject. Tonight, we're going to kind of do a uh, 2019 opening weekend recap and just kind of talk about the things that I saw, elk behavior, elk activity, what worked, what didn't, and that kind of stuff. Now, it doesn't matter if you're joining us from Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, you always have the option um, and the ability to put questions in as we roll live. We do the best to answer those. There is some information that I do hold back because I do have a paid members group. Uh, which is at elkcallingacademy.com. It's $15 a month. It gets you all of the tutorial videos, how to use diaphragm reads, all of the cow sounds, what they mean, how to do them, all of the bull vocalizations, what they mean, how to do them. I talk about strategies that we do. There's e-scouting tutorials and tools. Plus, we have a lot of brand partner giveaways and discounts. Also, if this is your first time joining us or you've tuned in for a little bit and you're enjoying the content, make sure that you like, follow, or subscribe, depending on whichever channel you're tuning in. So, all right, so let's jump into it. So our season here in Idaho opened on Friday, August 30th. We went up to camp on the 29th and um, over the 
three and a half days of really hunting. Um, we got into 13 different bulls. Um, four out of the six in camp had shot opportunities. Uh, three decided to pass. One did take the shot. It was a pretty hard quartering two and smacked that shoulder blade. Um, you know, of the bulls that we encountered, I mean, obviously everybody knows th- the temps were hot. And we talked about this last week because there were some people that were saying, um, you know, oh my gosh, the temperature is so hot, I'm not even going to go out. But here's the funny thing. And I said this last week, go find cool, dark, damp draws. We got into those cool draws and our temps in those cool draws were about 61, 62 degrees. And in fact, there was times during midday when we were taking a break that we would actually walk out of the shadows and just get in the sun and spread our arms out to soak up as much warmth of the sun as we could before we went back into those dark shadows. Uh, It was that cool in there. The other great thing about this weekend is we learned a lot more about the country. And what's crazy is the wallow that I've had the trail camera on. We went in and recovered the wallow. And I want to ask you guys a quick question. Do you guys ever have one elk that just consistently messes with your trail camera every time he is in there? We were going through because this last two weeks I switched the camera to video mode and we have this this spike that we call wildebeest uh, just because of the way his antlers are. It looks exactly like a wildebeest antler, but every time he was in the wallow, he could not leave the area without opening up his nostril to the camera and sniffing and licking. And and there's a couple of times that he would go leaving and he'd walk right by the camera and stop. So you just saw his rump and you're like, oh, he's not going to do anything. And all of a sudden his head would just whip back and start just messing with the camera every single time. So I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I've, I've, uh, we were all laughing when we were watching the videos. Um, with wildebeest there and and actually um one of the members in the camp he just wants elk meat so he he graciously volunteered to uh go take care of of wildebeest for basically protection of my trail camera so but the other cool thing was was throughout all the pictures through the summer and the video we kept seeing that the elk were coming in on a specific trail they always came from underneath this wallow and all summer long when we go into swap we would come from above drop down in swap the card and then we'd go out that trail but we would always hang to the north to go out and we were doing that that evening and i said wait a minute we've always gone north we've never gone south there's a trail that heads that way let's just go and so we started taking that trail out and we didn't even go 150 yards and in some dark timber there's a nice creek and we found a triple pool wallow three different wallows that had we not taken that trail, we never, ever would have found that. So, um, so bugled me this, any suggestions on this heat here in Utah? I found him, had them coming in an hour and a half before sunrise, got him bugling at night. That's the only time I'm getting them to respond or move. So that's where you're going to want to focus. Remember, we've talked about this several times. When it's hot, you need to go find those cool, 
dark draws. So uh, Big Skinny, a bull on a new spot. We put a cam at. He kept playing with our cam. So now, now here's the deal. We didn't hear a ton of bugling, um, but we got really good responses. And I know some of you are going, what do you mean? So remember, a response is not necessarily just a bugle. And, and a lot of us, when we go out, we're just so focused on only listening for that high-pitched bugle that we miss a lot of little cues, a little lot soft grunt or a little rake. Or in, in this case, this weekend, the responses we had were them coming to us. Um, there, was, there was one part... Oh, shoot. So opening morning, um, I mean, about 35 minutes, 40 minutes into the hunt, had a bull at 35 yards for or 30 yards for one of the hunting partners. But he was just over a little roll when he came in and so had kind of the top half of the body. And he just didn't want to take that shot. He's like, you know, it's it's the top half. I could do a high lung, possibly mid lung, but we're only 35 minutes into this hunt. So why chance it? And I, I commend him. Um, same thing. Uh, another one had a bull come in at 27 yards, but he was quartering two and that front shoulder was forward, which compresses a lot of bone. He didn't feel comfortable with the shot. Um, the bull never presented another shot. So he passed again. I commend him for, you know, making that decision. Um, the one shot, like I said, that was taken was, you know, quartering to um, new bow hunter to archery. And so, you know, kind of use that as a teaching moment and, you know, just sat down and said, OK, what happened? Explain. Tell me the story. And basically, a lot of times as a new hunter, when that elk comes in, we get kind of anxious. We're like, oh, my God, that's that's the only shot opportunity I'm going to get. I need to take it where if you show a little bit of patience you'll be amazed that sometimes they can come a little closer or turn from quartering away or quartering to, to completely broadside. So patience. And, you know, if that bull's sitting there quartering too, and he slowly starts to turn away, well, when he slowly starts to turn away, if you hit that cow call, then all of a sudden he stops this. And now he's giving you a nice wide open broadside shot. So patience really is a virtue out there. So, um, but yeah, responses were just really, really well. In fact, after that first encounter, that first morning, we kept working up towards the wallow and we came out into this meadow and I just did a couple of a couple of loud mews, excited mews, lost mews, whatever you want to call them. And then all of a sudden, two bulls just boom, busted out into the meadow off to the left and there was a little bump out of trees. And so we kind of tucked over on the left-hand side and started working them. And, you know, they kind of started working around and again same one that had the shot at 30 yards had another 30 yard shot it seemed like this weekend was a lot of 30 yard was the magical number um but there was just you know a couple of branches that he didn't feel comfortable with so um i packed my bow for about four hours but four out of the six like i said did get a draw got that excitement level and got that rush so there was definitely Good, good responses and a good positive opening weekend with seeing what was there with responses. Um, 
night bugling i didn't get real fired up responses so but got a few and i think part of that was because we saw a higher increase or a higher number um well we don't know if it's a higher number because we didn't really switch to this area until midway through the season last year so this was our first labor day weekend opening weekend there was a ton of people camping and a lot of activity you know running around so i definitely think that had part two play with um because of the areas that we night bugling from or night bugle from on some of those there was you know pretty extensive and they also started logging in the lower portion of that so uh heading out to set up elk camp early tomorrow after work then a day of scouting then it's opening day in washington big skinny good luck to you uh abarasa what are the best temps to hunt in during bow season or what do you hope temps to be you know one i really like temps that so at night upper 30s low 40s um during the day that upper 50s really low 60s to me those are just ideal temps because you're comfortable you can move around you're not sweating profusely um but also (laughs) the drawback of those temps is when you do get into the good dark timber it does get quite a bit colder so um facebook feed is lagging okay can you wave Yes. Can you follow me on Instagram? (laughs) Yes. LPA, I will follow you. So um, what's the biggest joke you've killed? I think bull you've killed. You know, score doesn't matter to me. Uh, My largest is 322. For me, it's more about the experience. So, um, okay, let's see. Hey, Mike, hope the rest of your season goes well. Smack Kelly for me when you see him. Absolutely. Just see, is anyone else getting broken feed? Okay, so a lot of you on Facebook are saying broken feeds. So, all right. So, um, tried cold cold calling and didn't get any action. Lonely bull call uh, brought in raghorns and spikes, had mature bulls in the area, but couldn't get them to uh, come in. Suggestions. So, so yeah, basically what we were doing... Um, you know, we were doing our normal locate as we were kind of through going through, got zero responses on locating. But once we got into areas and we started doing, um, you know, blind calling, that's when we had successes. And the the blind calling and the breeding sequence and also during the midday with the cow routine, we kind of had about a 50-50 split on which one was the most effective on, you know, bringing, bringing the bulls in. Um, pretty much each day, the morning blind calling with the breeding sequence was effective. Uh, the evening was not, um, but the midday, the midday cow routine, um, that was pretty much effective every day. So, um, but the other thing that we were doing too is, so Thursday night in camp, we fixed dinner and I got a little anxious and took a bite of the brat probably when it was still scorching hot and I burnt the roof of my mouth. So Friday, I was unable to really use a diaphragm read. So pretty much all day Friday, 
Uh, I did my cow vocalizations on the Mini Mouth from Native by Carlton, and I did my bull vocalizations on the Power Bugle Pro. And honestly, the way those two sounded out there um, really, really got some good responses with those bulls interacting and liking those tones. Um, I think one thing is the pitch and the frequency on that Power Bugle Pro, I think really hits that high note really, really well. Um, And I do have video of doing the whole breeding sequence on those externals that I'm gonna drop into the Patreon page. I just have to meet with somebody first because there's something in the video that I'm not sure that they really want people to see yet. So, Dave, this will be a long program. Terrible service. I don't know. Let me let me look at something real quick. Jojo McCarthy, how you doing? Congrats on your bull, bud. Uh, online, online. 30 frames per second. 2693 kilobots per second. So, so the stream is good. I think the issue has to be on um, Facebook side. So, um, let's see. Switched over to okay. Hiked in Thursday night. Bull was bugling. Walked by camp. Hung out on a hill above me. Bugled all night. Made other bulls bugle. I messed the setup on them. Didn't hear nothing else the rest of the day. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of times during. Um, that early season mistakes are made. I mean, we actually made a couple of them. Um, We had got to one part where we were basically locating on a ridge, just trying to locate something. And usually we'll hang out a little bit longer than we did, than what we normally did. And we just took off down the trail and we didn't make it more than 70 yards. And uh, there were some elk that were coming the trail to us and so it it happens you got to get your mind dialed in it again so uh danny my guys bailed me out this weekend did anyone in utah want to come hunt flamingo gorge with me this weekend in utah so uh i'll be heading out to idaho from september 20th to the 30th for my elk and mule deer hunt this year getting pretty excited Good luck to you, Joshua. Uh, Martin Lawson wants to know if anyone drew a Wanaha big bull tag this season. PM him. It's Martin Larson over on Facebook. So, all right. Um, any tips for scouting the day before opening day? Yeah, Big Skinny, usually a lot of times on opening day, I don't go into the areas. I'll find high elevation points that I can scout and just glass those areas. Um, that's typically leading up a couple of days to the opener. That's really how I do a lot of my my scouting is, is through the binos. So uh, paradigm shift, going in solo, do you prefer using a decoy or just straight calling any tips? So paradigm decoys can be really, really effective when you're solo. Uh, the thing to remember though, is when you are solo and you're calling, you do have to move. So if you are using a decoy, you'll set the decoy where you called from and move. If you want to call again, come back to that spot with the decoy and you're only moving, you know, 10, 15 yards to the side, 10, 15 yards up. You're not moving a long, long ways away from that. So, but just make sure that you do your calling near the decoy. So, cause otherwise, you know, when that elk comes to the point where it thinks it should be able to see that sound, it's going to be focused on the area where the sound came from, not actually where the decoy is. So, 
I really just tune in to hear other people's questions because the Patreon page got me all dialed in. Let's do this. Bri, Bri, I like it. So, all right. So we did have some questions drop in on Facebook today. So, um, Tom wants I wants to know, I'm just curious, this past weekend, a lot of bugling, but they seem like a lot of location bugles. A cow call or a small bugle sent them the other way or shut them up. What's the next step? Lots of bachelor groups still. Um, he actually had a response from somebody else that said, you know, cow called and got aggressive cow calling and the bull came in on a string. So, and, and here's, here's what I found talking to other people about opening weekend. Some people found success with cow vocalizations. Some people found success with bugling. So it really does vary from area to area, but also the mindset of that bull. What is that bull looking for? What are they, um, wanting to hear and and that's kind of the key sometimes where it's kind of a crapshoot when you know the elk aren't really really vocal and, and that's why on the patreon page that i talk about the breeding sequence because there's parts of the breeding sequence that bulls recognize and understand and they know what's going on and they want to go see it i mean elk are a herd animal they're very social and so that breeding sequence piques that interest of hey i know what's going on i want to go check this out also, during that midday with the cow sounds only, it kind of piques their curiosity sometimes. So, Tom, in response to you, um, you know, if you if you tried bugling and you tried, um, you know, cow calling and, and you're right. All the bugles we heard were location bugles. That's that's all they were. And and yeah, younger bulls were still bachelor group. The one thing we noticed is we did not find any of the big bulls that we've had on camera all summer long. And we know that these big bulls are there later in the season but like i said this is the first time we've hunted this one opening weekend and so i pretty much gathered that i i know where groups of cows hang out so i'm guessing that those larger bulls had moved out of the area to where those cows are to round up their herd before bringing them back into this area. So really excited to see what this weekend's going to produce, especially because we have a storm that's coming in Thursday night, clearing out Friday midday, and then another one coming in Sunday morning and the barometric pressure is going up and then it's dropping way down for that Saturday evening, Sunday morning. That a lot of times tells me good, good, elk movement and good vocalization. So this weekend's probably going to be a lot different. And a lot of the reports that I'm getting from people is they are really starting to hear bulls crack off. So, so Tom, that's where you could switch and try kind of a blind calling where you're not... <laughs> you know, putting pressure on them or aggression on them. Uh, they may not be in the mindset of searching for cows yet. It's going to vary from area to area, but that's where kind of doing something like that breeding sequence could elicit that excitement and curiosity on them. So, so that would be what I would say the next step would be to, to try if you're not getting a response or you're not getting, um, you know, them coming to you off bugles or cow calls, mix it up and kind of do the two together. So, 
Um, Dave, we're starting to hear bugles in southern Saskatchewan. I believe the young bulls are practicing. We hunt in forests which borders on the ag land, and the farmers are limiting on hunters on their land. How far back in the forest at this time of year do you think the elk are bedding down? Unfortunately, Dave, I don't know. Um, that's just something that you're just going to have to get into that area and see. And that's where if it, walk the edge of the ag line onto the forest land that you can, but walk that edge and find their access trails in and out of the ag land and just follow those trails. Those trails will lead you to where they're watering, where they're bedding, and that will answer a lot of the questions for you right there. So, uh, Hal Morgan, how far off the trail are you encountering elk? Well, we don't, this area, we don't really use trails to go in. We just basically, um, you know, park and then go through the timber. And we're just actually using game trails to move around. Um, but the first group of elk, 200 yards from where we parked the side-by-side. Um, day two, second group of elk was about 500 yards. So, I, I mean, it just, it, it varies. I mean, how you, you know, we've heard the term that, that elk are where you find them. And, and that's really the case. I mean, each area is going to be different on what elevation. Now, we were kind of hunting that 6,600 to 7,200 feet in elevation is is kind of that band we were focusing on. Um, we noticed above 7,200, we started getting into more cattle. Uh, but as we dropped down below 72 and 66, um, that's kind of where we were finding the elk sign. Uh, we did have half the group hunt low on the mountain, kind of in the, the 5,800 range, 5,500 range. They didn't see anything there other than some few wandering tracks and people. So, um, okay, let me jump back over here real quick and see. Two, 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 two. Just marked a few draws on Onyx. They may have made their way to when I heard them heading up. And that's a cool thing too. bugle me this and some of you others. So when you go out and you hunt in that area and you've kind of hiked around a little bit, then when you get back home, you pull up, you know, the Onyx and then you really start dissecting, especially because of the pins that you dropped out there. Then you can kind of start getting a bigger picture and going, OK, I was here. They shut up here. And a lot of times when that elk is above you and shut up, you know, all of a sudden you realize, oh man, there's a saddle right there. I'll bet you he just crossed over the top to bet on that backside. Then you can plan a route to get into that backside to cut him off and increase your chances. So, so yeah, definitely always when you get back, pull up on X or base map or whatever you guys like to use, but view it on a computer, a larger screen. You get a much, much better idea of what's going on around you. So, uh, any tips for a rifle elk hunt? We'll be going way back in the backcountry using horses and trying to be as mobile as possible to find the elk. Uh, Joshua, your your cow vocalizations, just you know your your two, three, four cow sounds, wait five minutes can be effective during rifle season. Uh, but also too, depending on the time of year, um, send it out, out outdoors. How you doing, bud? Um, 
sometimes that rut could be happening late into the rifle or you could still have some cows that are coming into cycle late and you will get into a little bit of bugling action also so biggest thing is pay attention to what you're around you out there and kind of match what you're hearing so justin welcome so uh bragging board we had success with bugles and cow calls but mostly cow not really responsive to calls but they did respond so um yeah i know andy i watched uh some of sean's videos that he posted so uh third and fourth day out ran into another ca uh canyon ran into bulls still in groups coming in silent or just really didn't respond to cow calls. Like we would cow call and they would lift their heads from eating and just keep going. Yeah, and and, and we saw that too. Um, you know, there was there was a group that was basically walking by that we could see. And, and I mean, I'm just pleading on the cow calls and kind of doing that breeding sequence, getting into, you know, the bull vocalizations part of it. And they would just pick their head up and look. So it was, it was three young spikes. Um, so like I said, I think because of those bigger bulls rolling out, it, it did affect those younger bulls that were kind of in there. But like I said, they were still responding well by coming in. Um, we had a blast with uh, some of those guys. Greg Betts, you're calling lessons made for a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you, Michael. Greg, I love hearing that. Thank you. Thank you. Freddie Lopez, how you doing, bud? Uh, <coughs> dang it. Excuse me. Shireen Collette. <coughs> I'm getting emotional. Hold on. All right. New to elk hunting. Uh, the last few years and trying to figure out patterns. We get lots of solo elk on our cams, but as soon as, soon as season starts, they are gone. Still get young bull spikes and cows. So if you're getting older bulls on your cam, trail cam during the summer, but not during the hunting season, then that's telling you that is the summer area where those bulls are hanging out during the summer. As soon as they start getting that urge for rut, they go find the cows and they may come back into that area for breeding or they may have a different area that they like to take those cows to for the breeding area. Um, a lot of times I'll set cameras at different elevations on the mountain to see. Um, it's great seeing bulls, um, but I like a lot of those others where I'm seeing more cows than I am bulls because that's going to tell me where the bulls are going to be to the start of the season. And then you continue to learn throughout the season where those elk go to rut. So solo big guys. Okay. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's going on, Shereen. Uh, based on the momentum of the rut already in Idaho, will the 13th, 14th be pre-rut or rut at this point? So, okay. So paradigm kind of, I, I, I remember two weeks before season when I said every bull that we saw up when we were on a scouting trip was hard horned. And, and I remember a lot of people immediately jumping onto it going, oh man, they're going to be in peak rut opening weekend and this and that. no they're not so the autumn equinox is what triggers the rut they will slide and adjust a little bit before or after that last year was a rare extreme non-normal where they rutted extremely late and then with all that late snow we got in february it made perfect sense 
everything I'm seeing this year on winter predictions and this and that, that peak rut is going to be around that 21st, 22nd. Um, now, whether that 21st, 22nd falls at the end or the middle or the beginning, that I don't know. But you have a window. Sorry, guys. So phone call came in. Um, don't these people know it's Wapiti Wednesday? So, <laughs> um, But no, most cows are bred within a 7 to 10 day window of that autumn equinox. And where that autumn equinox falls in that 7 to 10 days can adjust. But that's typically when the peak rut happens. I can't think of a time that I saw an early rut. Um, normally you'll see it along that normal time or a little later. Um, but I don't ever remember an early rut. So to answer your question, 13th, 14th, um, you're going to kind of be in that tra transition from pre-rut to peak rut time frame. Um, you know, kind of getting ready because that 13th, 14th does fall within that seven to 10 day window of that 21st, 22nd. So hope that kind of answers your question. So Shireen, that's what I'm wondering if we need to move up. Um, not necessarily move up because the thing you got to remember is those cows and calves are typically at lower elevations because those lower elevations clear of snow first. That's where the green grasses start growing. Those cows need that green grass to produce the milk and that's a lot of times where they drop their calves and then they'll stay there in those green grass lower lying areas throughout the summer and then those bulls will basically come down round them and then they'll go up for the rut so best thing to do is kind of work different elevations you know, low, mid, high, kind of see where they're at. Um, but I would say, you know, dropping down a little bit from your cam elevation might get you into them. That's that's what I would do. I would drop down before I would go up. So uh, the elk went to where you're not. Yeah, that does happen a lot. So, okay, Western Contours guy, how you doing? Oh, speaking of Western Contours, how many of you listen to the Western Contours podcast? It was pretty cool last weekend because Guy is normally the one running the podcast and doing the questions. But there was one that just got released that the tables were turned. And now Guy is the one that's being interviewed by Amy Hall. And I, I'm not quite halfway into it, but it's a great great podcast that you guys really get the opportunity to learn about guy and what makes him tick and you want to talk about a guy that's passionate about hunting guy is definitely one so i highly recommend going over to western contours and listening to this interview like i said i'm about halfway into it and really really enjoying it so um how does that change your tactic? So, okay, paradigm, I don't change my tactic or approach. I do my same approach, whether it's first day of the season, last day of the season, middle of the season. I don't change my approach. Um, the only thing that really changes in my setups is the, the amount of cow sounds versus the amount of bull vocalizations and all that. It, it basically depends on 
the bull that I'm working because each one's going to be different. If you pay attention to how they're responding to what you're doing, they will tell you what they like. They will tell you what really gets them ticking or gets them fired up. It's your job to pay attention to that and give them what they're asking for. Give them what they're looking for. So, okay. All right. He's a savage. Nah, don't be saying things like that about guy. So, all right. Back to Facebook questions from earlier. Uh, you did a review of the Quivalizer a while ago. Are you still using it? And what are your thoughts on it now? Um, no, I'm not still using the Quivalizer. Um, I kind of did some testing back and forth. I, I like the Quivalizer. It is a good tool. Um, just the the other stabilizer setup that I have just... <sighs> I shoot it a little better. I mean, I was shooting effectively and I was shooting well with the Quivalizer, um, but sometimes I guess you could say I have a little OCD on stuff and sometimes want to make those groups tighter, uh, a little better. And of course, that's when I end up blowing knocks and shaving veins and I get mad at myself. But no, the Quivalizer is a, a great product. Um, I, I would definitely recommend trying it, seeing how it works for you. Uh, but me personally, no, I'm not using it anymore right now. So uh, Matt Flowers, if you are starting to get into elk that are fired up and wind shifts a little bit, can you use a Cowan heat scent and spray it into the air to try and save that encounter? Why not? Yeah, I've tried it in the past. Um, trying that to possibly save that encounter, save that situation is worth a shot. Um, it couldn't hurt. So most definitely try it. So, all right, Benito, game meat protector. Have you ever tried this stuff? Which game meat protector is basically, it's a spray that you can put on your meat and it kind of coats your meat and keeps the flies and bugs off it. Benito, have I tried it? No, um, I haven't. Um, I was given some few years back to try it. And I just, I, I don't know. I'm one of those ones that I have faith in my game bags to keep the bugs off. And I don't, because your meat basically is going to get a protective layer on it. And me personally, I don't want to do anything to interfere with that natural process. And so basically during the day, my meat is hanging in game bags tied up really, really tight on the top. At night, I drop those game bags off the quarters. So um, I, I hang each of the quarters uh, off a product that I've been kind of developing and field testing. That's my own product for the last couple of years for hanging those. Um, that allows me to cinch and really tighten that game bag above the knee and the shank down on the cord that I have it hanging with. Um, but then easily at night to drop it off. The advantage of dropping it off because bugs go to bed at night, you take that bag off and then you let that really cool night air really drive deep into that meat. Then in the morning before we head back out, I just put the game bag back on. So, all right. So that takes care of the questions from Facebook today. Let's see what we got. 
Uh, what else? Bride Dizzle. No, I am not. Again, new to elk. They've been coming on the trail cams for our deer spot, so wanted to learn. So, Shireen, what Bride Bride is talking about is he's talking about that Patreon page. That's that elkcallingacademy.com um, that there's there's all kinds of lessons and tutorials in there to teach you about elk behavior, elk calling, e-scouting. I, I mean, there's there's just a ton of tutorial videos on there. Um, and in fact, I did film some more videos this weekend for in the field kind of tips and stuff. So, uh, hey, chief, I'm east of Mississippi and want to eventually take a specialty guided elk hunt when the stars align. Do you have a recommendation recommended state to do the hunt as far as cost? Um, Jay, I'm going to steer you towards go hunt. Um, go hunt basically. Uh, does have a membership, but if you're going to go out of state and hunt, Go Hunt is probably the best tool that you can use. They gather a lot of information about each of the states and each of the areas. Your draw success, if it's it, chances, if it's a draw area, um, so draw odds, harvest success, quality of bulls, amount of public land versus private land access. I, I, I mean, it's just a great, great tool um, that you can do a lot of the homework using that and really, really does help you make good decisions. So. Uh, in your experience, is getting into the woods early, two hours before dark and looking for bugles paid off? Last year, it seemed like they were already bedded down before sunrise. Um, Chance, I don't go into the woods that early. When I do night bugling, it's typically off of roads and I'm bugling up into canyons. Um, and then once we get a response, then off we go. Um, and that's on bright moon nights, but night bugling, yes, has really paid off for us and it's helped us find a lot of elk. And so we're going into an area where there's elk every day. So yeah, night bugling is definitely effective. So Brian, we didn't find elk around 8,200 feet and all the way in the back of canyons. So yeah, we didn't find them. We found where they had been crossing over the top, but nothing where they were really hanging out at those high elevations. So, all right. looks like solo for me this weekend. Did not go this weekend. Is needed a root canal and got it done today. So even going solo, watch out elk. So, Danny, yeah, I'm glad you got that tooth taken care of. So, Mountain Hunter Box, not to sound creepy, I've spent more time with Michael on Patreon, Patreon than have with my wife this week. Well... I appreciate that. Um, no, not creeped out at all. We'll just kind of smile and just say thank you. So <laughs> uh, any tips on hunting solo in steep, brushy country? Looks like I'm going hunting solo this weekend and think I've decided to go into the hellhole that a buddy deemed a six-point or bigger area. So Andy... Um, so in the brushy country, I mean, the elk are going to have trails through there. Use those trails for moving. Um and because of that brush, your setups are going to be um, a little closer, uh, which can be your advantage because as a solo hunter in that brushy, thicker country, they're going to have to come closer to be able to see the elk that's making the vocalization. So um, just kind of do the same things, Andy, that we've we've talked about and that you and Sean talked about last weekend. Um 
nice thing is temps are going to be cooler. So since you are solo, you will have a little bit more time for getting that out. So uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. So um, so are the elk more vocal in the early morning or at evening time? Sue, it just kind of varies. Um, you know, sometimes it varies from day to day. Sometimes they're a little more vocal in the morning, sometimes a little more in the evening, sometimes, you know, more vocal midday. Um, it just really, really varies. Um, and as we get later into the season, um, cows coming into estrus are really going to play on that a lot more with the cow kind of releasing those pheromones in the air. That's really going to create the excitement and get those bulls cranking even a lot more. So Western Contours puts out a pretty awesome podcast all around. Yes, they do. But I thought this one was pretty cool that, uh, tables got flipped and, and guy was getting interviewed. So, uh, do we have to post our questions on a Facebook page? Jay, no, you don't. If you're tuning in from YouTube. So what I typically do on Wednesday mornings is, you know, I'll just kind of, you know, announce, Hey, reminder tonight's Wapiti Wednesday. If there are any questions you have, go ahead and put them in now, or you can save them for when you tune in you know, live. And no, you don't have to post them on the Facebook. I normally post that on Instagram and Facebook both. So if there's either one that, you know, you really want to kind of tune into or post those questions, or like I said, you can just come in live and ask them. So, um, Jay Dahlstrom, absolutely. Jay, congrats on, uh, on the bull, bud. way to get it done early. So, I'll definitely do some research on that. Okay. I bought Allen reusable game bags this year. Killed a bull on opening morning. Those bags are awesome. I haven't used the Allens yet. Um, I use I use the game bags from 6 a.m. Um, have really talked with Tristan over there quite a bit about them. Um, and the one thing that's kind of cool is... is um, Kelly and Carrie, the couple that do the meat processing for me... Um, they really know game bags and breathability. They, they can tell whether it's a good game bag or not. Uh, they kind of gave the 6 a.m., you know, a huge thumbs up. Goat Gear is another one that they absolutely really like that I've used in the past. Uh, but the Allens, I haven't. And, and yeah, the 6 a.m. are also reusable game bags. Um, just kind of what I'll do a lot of times with my game bags is, is, you know, when I pick my meat up and grab the game bags, I'll come home and I'll put them in a tub with water and vinegar to kind of draw some of that blood out before I throw them in the washing machine and, and wash them. So Ryan Mayer, how you doing, bud? Uh, let's see. Sun setting right now. So elk are bugling as we speak Too bad at my house right now and not in the woods. Um, we didn't actually hear any at sunset. Uh, we heard more bugles uh, right kind of at the crack of first light. Um, the other one opening day. Yeah. We were across from a bull that was cracking off midday during his, you know, in his bed. Um, we kind of got him to kind of pipe off, um, about five times, six times. So, but just where he was at, we were, we were in the dark timber bedding area and he was kind of in this little patch of timber over kind of on a Southern facing slope. And, I kind of made the call instead of going after him, as soon as that sun gets another angle and hits him, he's going to get up and move probably to our side. And, uh, we just, we never found him again. So, 
A little late to the party. Not sure if you covered this yet, but on Instagram, you said you use the breeding calling strategy. Can you go over that? Your strategy, anything like elk nuts, slow play. Um, Basically, the breeding sequence, that's that's part of the tutorials over on ElkCallingAcademy.com with all the sounds. So, But, I mean, if you just think about a breeding sequence, um, what's going on in that, you know, that will kind of give you an idea of basically what you're portraying. But there are certain specific sounds that we do into it uh, because, you know, cows will talk all year round. Bulls will location bugle all year round, but there's a certain set of sounds that bulls only do during September that are synonymous with the rut. And that's the only time of year that you're going to hear those sounds. So, uh, Charles, if you're night bugling, trying to understand if you drive and park, wait a couple and let out a bugle uh, and wait for a response or how do you do it? Can you dumb it down for me, brother? You bet. So night bugling. Yeah, it's exactly that. We're in a truck. We're basically driving roads and we're either on an elevated road bugling down into canyons or we're in a lower road and we're bugling up. But yeah, when we stop, um, we are quiet. We don't slam the doors, you know, turn off all the lights, shut the doors quietly. We get out and we sit there and listen um, for three, four, five minutes. Kind of, if you think about how long it takes for that dust to settle from the road, let that dust settle. Just let things calm down. Um, but the other thing too, is we just basically sit there and listen because a bull could crack off and we didn't have to make a sound. If he's going to crack off on his own bingo, we got him. We know where we're going tomorrow. And that's really all we're doing. Night bugling. As soon as we get a response, we've got the location. We don't sit there and continue to play with them. I learned that the hard way a few years back where I continue to sit there and play with them. So... Uh, if I don't get any response, you know, I'll bugle two, three, four times, um, you know, bugle, wait a little bit, listen, bugle again, wait a little bit, add some chuckles in, you know, add a new element in. Um, if, if no response, then in the truck and off to the next spot. So, uh, so we are low at 2000 feet, pretty low. And that's why I'm wondering if we need to go higher. Okay. With that information there. Yeah. Then you probably want to go higher. Um, that makes a little more sense now. Uh, just got a call on a swing and a miss in Southern Colorado. Ooh. Uh, do you show how to glunk on Patreon or can we discuss? So <clears throat> all of my tubes are up at camp. So, but there's, there's two ways that you can glunk. One is you can take the palm of your hand, roll your finger back, and you can just pop that on the mouthpiece of the diaphragm tube. The other way... Or, or the grunt tube. The other way is if you take a diaphragm read and you just say the term wit. That's another way that you can glunk. So, um, also another big thing I'd like some advice on. I'm fairly new to bow hunting and having trouble accurately eyeballing distance for shot. Any tricks? Judging distance is one of those things that just is something that you have to continue to try, Jay. Um, kind of what I do a lot of times is, you know, if I have my rangefinder with me, I'll eyeball something and just kind of guess, okay, that's 32 yards or, or this or that, and then I'll range find it. Um, but guess your distance first and then use the range finder. Um, but it's just something that, 
dang it, it's just something that gets easier and easier with time. So it's one of those things you just kind of got. And some people are really, really good at it naturally. And other people just have to work about it. So, Michael, um, how about when to use a lip ball? Uh, if heard to do it, so many different scenarios. What do you think? So, I used to interject the lip ball into my sequence. Um, but that lip ball is basically telling cows, come to me, I'm a dominant bull. But it's telling other bulls, stay away, I'm a dominant bull. I will use the lip ball sometimes when I'm locating, if I've done some location bugles, especially as the season progresses. Um, when locating, if I don't have any responses, I will um, you know, project a lip ball in there just to see if that can elicit a response. But when I'm in my setups now, and I kind of you know, tested this last year a little bit more, I kind of held that lip ball out and kind of added other aggression factors in to get that bull fired up. And I kind of took the mentality kind of like a location or a, or a challenge bugle. Um, I never challenge a bull first. I always wait for him to get to that point and then I'll cut him off in his challenge of my own challenge. I took that same approach last year with lip balling on bulls. And, and I kind of noticed that it really elevated their aggression level tremendously, especially when they're in the middle of a lip ball and you cut them off with a lip ball. Man, it just, they went through the roof. So that's kind of my take on it. It's, it's kind of, again, reading what you're getting back from the bull. If you have a bull that has already a heightened aggression level, then no, it's not a bad thing to throw that lip ball in. The problem that I'm seeing sometimes is people will have a bull that's not elevated. They're showing kind of timid signs and they're hitting them with these really ultra aggressive lip balls and bugles. And then these bulls are just shutting up and, and they're like, oh, he winded us or saw us or this or that. No, it's you intimidated him. So... Pay attention to the mindset that your bull is in. Pay attention to his aggression level and then match his aggression level with your aggression level. So if that makes sense. So hopefully that kind of answers your question about that lip ball. Bri, Bri, try golfing. That will help you get good at yardage. Yeah. So Eldon Bogangster heading out Friday for two weeks. Good luck to you, bud. Um, Jay, just practice judging every time you sit down and then check with your range finder. Exactly. So while it's hot right now, are they more likely to be on south, northeast or west facing slopes? So, all right. So, Sue, your south and west are typically your hot side of the mountain, but you don't shy away from those because you can still find thick timber that has water in it that becomes a cool draw. That's really right now when it's hot, that's what you want to find is those cool, dark draws. Usually has a little creek through it, a really dark, thick timber that that sun can't penetrate. And, and you'll know when you're in there because as soon as you walk into that area, that temp's just immediately going to drop. Um, but 
if you don't have any of those cool draws or you can't find them, your northeast side of the mountain, the slopes that face northeast, that's going to be the cool side of the mountain. That's probably going to be the side that you're going to find them on if you don't have any cool dark draws. So, uh, Andy, love my 6 a.m. bags. Need to get another set due to someone wanting my help more than me, but I'm happy to give Tristan my money. There you go. So, uh, Eric Hernandez. So, I wanted to get something like Caribou or Black Ovis or whatever, something light um, in my canvas bound, bound bags that I've been packing around the last week. So, yes, the ones I'm actually talking about are the Allen's ones that I got at Walmart a while back when they were on clearance. There are two in a bag that are 20 by 30, and I compared them to one of the caribou bags, and they're very similar. I paid three bucks for six bags, and I think they're going to work great. It's been a couple of years since I've killed a bull, so I wasn't really sure if a hind quarter would fit in very well. Front quarter, absolutely. You might be pressing it on that size for the hind quarter, especially if you get a little larger bag or a little larger bull. Um, that's kind of why I like some of those other companies, you know, like the 6 a.m. Um, um, in fact, I tested for Tristan last year. And as soon as I got back, I said, God, Tristan, if you could make these two, two and a half inch, inches wider and three to four inches longer, they would be absolutely perfect because we leave bone in. And he actually did uh, make a larger set. If you go to the website, it has the pink paracord on it. Um, but those are the ones that, that I use. So, yeah, synthetic bags, they're lightweight. Some of them on the market claim to breathe. They don't really breathe, and that's what you want in a game bag. Um, and in fact, over on the Patreon page, we do have an article on a test that a guy did where he took synthetic canvas, cotton, and basically you did age testing with some meat in those. And it was really, really interesting um, to see how those bags fared. So, all right. Uh, two minute clock is counting down. Jake, what do you think about the black Ovis? Um, they're okay. I think there's better bags on the market, but they are okay. So, um, how far do you drive between your bugles at night? Also, what are your recommendations for good old Washington state brushy country? So, um, you know, I, how far I, it, it just depends. I'm, I'm going to go, down the road to a point where I have elevated no trees. The, you know, if I'm on the elevated road, I want no trees so I can kind of hear the canyon a little better and it's not broken up. If I'm on the bottom bugling up into drainages, if I bugle into this one, I'm going to drive down the road far enough where I'm bugling up in the next. So... All right. Uh, Utah hunt on the 14th. Uh, should I be real aggressive or tone it down? <clears throat> Sue, that's going to depend on each bull. It's, it's going to vary from encounter to encounter. Just pay attention to what the response that bull has given you. And this is what I mean. If you cow call and he's really excited, you bugle and he gets timid. He's telling you cow sounds, stay with the cow sounds. So pay attention to what that bull is responding to you. All right, guys, we have just barely over 30 seconds, so we are going to wrap it up. Thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in tonight. Thank you for asking the questions and participating. I absolutely love having the opportunity to do this with you guys each week. So as always, keep calling, keep practicing. Most importantly, though, have fun. And we will see you guys next Wednesday on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Q&A brought to you by Elk Calling Academy. Have a great week and good luck to everybody heading out this weekend. Shoot straight, aim small, miss small. We'll see you guys later. 
Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, and live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading into the bad country this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, Check out SasquatchFuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to SasquatchFuel.com. Hey guys, enter code WESTERNCONTOURS at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.